0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll recap CAPS district meeting, which was held last night. Also, we'll get a cattle market update from Brian Peria with Canfax. Up first in today's country comment, Janelle Hamlin with Manitoba Pork will join us. Give us an update on the PED virus situation in Manitoba. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Pork held a virtual town hall yesterday to update producers on the PED outbreak. I caught up with Manager of Swine Health Program's Janelle Hamblin later in the day.
1: We are at 21 uh, cases of PED in in 2021, uh, seven of which are sow operations, two nurseries, eight finisher, and two farrow to finish. Uh, That was as of today.
0: What areas are these in?
1: Predominantly in the southeast a part of the province, uh, what we've, we've deemed or noted to be a higher risk area for PED, uh, meaning that uh, this is where we've seen PED pop up in the past, um, at least start or, or have a large number of our cases uh, be in this area, in that southeast part of the province. We also have had two cases uh, in and around the hill area this year as well.
0: Any idea on how this is uh, spreading?
1: Well, you know, Corey, the case investigations have certainly led us in a lot of different directions and the risk factors for PED, uh, whether it be loadout biosecurity, transport biosecurity, uh, working with, um, management of dead stock, uh, these are all things, or service providers coming onto the farm, um, really touch points at, at, uh, at the farm level, uh, continue to be, to be risk factors that we are exploring. Which which we have uh, discussed in the past as well, um, whether or not uh, the, the source of, an, of uh, contamination is is confirmed with every farm. Um, sadly, we we do still have question marks uh, around uh, definitive uh, sources of infection. Uh, still talking a lot about uh, wind and weather patterns and how that comes into play uh, in moving around the virus on the farm, but really reinforcing the importance of of that farm level. Uh, barn-level uh, biosecurity to, to do our best to keep uh, any environmental virus from entering the barn.
0: And, uh, Janelle, how concerning is it, you know, with this outbreak at this time of year?
1: You know, Corey, it's it's something that we haven't seen before. It's, it's new. Uh, cases in Manitoba have typically started in that um, April, May, June time frame is when we've seen cases start in previous outbreaks, so this October, end of October timeframe, uh, we've seen cases in October before, but they've typically been linked to other, um, cases that had come on earlier. So to start an outbreak at the end of October and, and lead here into December is, is definitely a new, um, occurrence for us here in Manitoba and, uh, looking at these risk factors through a slightly different lens, being that, uh, it's a different season. <laughs> and different environmental factors are at play. So um, try to take as as much opportunity as possible to learn uh, from these cases, but certainly not something that uh, I would say any of us really expected.
0: Now, I guess the majority or, or all of these cases have shown up in the, in the later part of the year here, but how, how does uh, this year compare to previous years?
1: That's a great question. And and we did do some uh, comparisons leading up to the town hall that we had today. And, um, the first six weeks of cases for previous outbreaks, large-scale outbreaks in 2017 and, and 2019, we are at a similar case number here in 2021 as we were back in 2017 and 2019 at the same point of the outbreak. So that that is certainly uh, a little concerning, and uh, we're really hoping that the trend um, stops there <laughs> or the similarities stop there, um, and we, we can get a hold of this and, and see it come to a close.
0: That was Janelle Hamlin. She's the manager of Swine Health Programs with Manitoba Pork. The organization held a virtual town hall yesterday to update producers on the PED situation. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Pork held a virtual town hall yesterday to update the industry on the PED outbreak. Here is manager of Swine Health Programs, Janelle Hamlin.
1: We are at 21 uh, cases of PED in, in 2021. Uh, seven of which are sow operations, two nurseries, eight finisher, and two farrow to finish.
0: What areas are these in?
1: Predominantly in the southeast, a part of the province, uh, what we've we've deemed or noted to be a higher risk area for PED, uh, meaning that uh, this is where we've seen PED pop up in the past, um, at least start or or have a large number of our cases be in this area in that southeast part of the province. We also have had two cases uh, in and around the Brunkhild area this year as well.
0: Hamlin says it's unusual to see a PED outbreak start this late in the year. The government of Canada has provided $699 million worth of emergency assistance through the Canadian Food Grains Bank since 1983. A renewed grant agreement has been signed between the Food Grains Bank and the Government of Canada. The grant is worth $75 million over three years and will be used to fund emergency response projects implemented through the 15 member agencies of the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Here's Executive Director Andy Harrington. The Canadian government came behind this idea of a world without hunger from the very beginning. and For almost 40 years, has provided ongoing and constant support to the notion that every person in the world deserves enough to eat. As a Canadian, despite this accent, I'm proud that the commitment of my elected leaders and civil servants have joined with us to end global hunger. And I'm proud that that commitment has stood the test of time. Last year, the Food Grains Bank provided $49 million worth of assistance for 989,000 people in 33 countries. And the Manitoba Association of Watersheds has announced the recipients of the 2021 Watershed District Award and the Watershed District Builder Award. The recipients of the Watershed District Awards are McDonald Farms of the Pemina Valley Watershed District, Gordon and Val Turner of the Red Boyne Watershed District, the Mattis Family of the Souris River Watershed District, and the Vita Community Child Care Center of the St. Rat Rose Watershed District. The recipients of the Watershed District Builder Awards are Roy Wood of the Red Boyne Watershed District and Corny Gertson of the St. Rat Roseau Watershed District. The awards were handed out at a banquet held last night. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Egg Wire for Wednesday, December 8th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get a cattle market update from Brian Peria with Canfax. A work stoppage was avoided earlier this week at High River's Cargill Beef Processing Plant. Brian Peria with Canfax commented on the move
2: it's our biggest plant in canada you know that and GB, uh, jbs and brooks are similar sizes but you know they kill forty seven, forty eight hundred 4800 head a day which is about 35 percent of canadian production or you know 45-ish percent of western canadian pr- production just in that plant so uh yeah it, it's, a, it's a huge deal given the large cattle on feed numbers and large cattle supplies in general we just you know it would have been pretty pretty well it could have been Pretty, pretty devastating to the market if, if they would have been closed for any length of time. So um, no, certainly uh, glad to see that uh, all got sorted out in time. And Cargill hopefully can, uh, you know, be uh, get pretty active on the, or, you know, be, be more involved in the market more confidently here moving forward.
0: What is the latest on the markets? Well,
2: you know, it's going to be interesting. We're a little bit early this week. Uh, our Fed markets we saw a little bit of strength last week, and uh, we're anticipating some more strength this week. Uh, you know, the U.S. markets rallied significantly in the last month or so, uh, whereas Canada has only seen marginal increases. So, you know, we're we're hoping our, our Fed cattle get into the mid-60s here um, this week, mid-60s possibly, um, just, uh, you know, with, with a competition and, and continued good demand for for uh for beef and, and cattle um right now. So um yeah, certainly expect stronger prices heading into December.
0: How are uh, farmers making out with
2: uh feed? Uh well you know the feed overall is, has been a challenge. Uh, anything, you know, our, our calf markets have not been uh, you know, very robust either. You know, they've they've picked up slightly from the lows there uh, in November, but uh, you know, it's the high feed costs, corn and Imported corn and barley is uh, extremely expensive, you know, over 400 bucks a ton, a ton down in, in the feeding areas. Uh, hay and stuff is manageable, I think. Uh, luckily, we had an open fall, and, and guys are just starting to get into some colder weather and feeding now. Um, I think most of the cow-calf guys, uh, you know, are in, well, I guess maybe somewhat better shape than they thought in mid-summer when there was, you know, no no grass around and and uh, shortage of feed, so yeah, you know, I think it's manageable. Uh, it's still going to be tight, um, but it, and it's it's still pretty costly. If guys need to buy any more supplemental feed uh, if it gets cold this winter.
0: Anything else to highlight this week, or
2: you know the the challenge really we got to watch is basis levels. You know our, our cull cows, you know they are picking up a little bit, uh, but we remain at a pretty big discount to the U.S. market for cows, fed cattle, calves, and feeders. Uh, we might see a few more exports uh, going forward and, and maybe a slowdown in imports. So, uh, um, you know, we're at a feed cost disadvantage and our prices are lower. So uh, uh, we could see a little bit more southern trade happening.
0: That was Brian Peria with CanFax. Glenda Lee Allen Vossler was online for yesterday's Farm Forum presentation. She focuses in on part of Dr. Jeff Shano's presentation on building productivity of soils. He talked about some of the work done by a group of scientists involved in the Prairie Soil Carbon Balance Project. It looked at what the soil organic matter was like in 1996, and then 21 years later, after conservation management practices, Like reduced tillage, continuous cropping, or multi crop rotations, and for our balanced fertilizer practices, were implemented. The study was done in Saskatchewan and looked at soil samples from 100 different areas
3: across the province. And those samples luckily were archived. Sampling was done again every five years afterwards. And in 2018, we went out again and we took samples from those same spots. So we're able to basically compare the same areas in the field, what was there in 1996 versus what was there in 2018. What I'm going to talk about today is the work that we did where we zeroed in right on that top 0 to 10 centimeters, that uh, that top layer of soil there where uh, we were interested particularly in not only the content of organic matter, but also some of the quality aspects of that organic matter as uh, as well. Across those soil climatic zones, we consistently found higher mass of total organic carbon in the samples from 2018 compared to 1996. Again, and not surprisingly, showing the effect of those conservation management practices on increasing the amount of soil organic matter, the amount of soil organic carbon in the of those of those soils that we, we, we sample. We also looked at a particular fraction of carbon in the soil, what we call microbial biomass carbon. So that's the microbial biomass carbon. Those are the the microorganisms that are in the soil that are responsible for carrying out the nutrient cycling the activity. And how we measure the microbial biomass is we actually extract the soil with chloroform. And that knocks those microorganisms out, so to speak, and allows us to measure the carbon concentrations in them. So what we found in this in this I guess we might term this an fraction, uh, dynamic fraction of organic matter, uh, we found uh, again consistently across the soil climatic zones as shown here microbial biomass content and the different soil climatic zones rather consistently higher uh, microbial biomass uh, carbon contents in the samples from 2018 after 21 years of conservation management versus what was there in 1996. And we saw some of the largest effects here in the Black soil zone where we tend to have maybe the best conditions there, the greatest amount of substrate for those microorganisms to chew away on, so to speak. So conclusions in this uh, component of uh, of the work, uh, there's certainly we, we saw that conservation management uh, significantly increased that that microbial biomass uh, content, and that relates, I think, to to, to then a prediction about uh, enhanced uh, soil nutrient cycling in those soils and turnover and greater overall uh, microbial uh, activity. And we also observed that that soil conservation management significantly increased the total soil organic matter content in that top uh, uh, 10 centimeters that we were measuring. And that relates to increased fertility uh, because that organic matter is a very important storehouse of nutrients, especially uh, nitrogen and sulfur phosphorus as well. Also the things that organic matter does for the soil in the topsoil, improving that soil structure, uh, aggregation and water relations as as well. So overall I think what this work shows is that really the conservation management practices that have been adopted, uh, employed by growers, I think are having a positive benefit on soil organic matter, soil health and and carbon storage. Really I think a, a good news story.
0: That's Dr. Jeff Shano. He was one of the participants in yesterday's Farm Forum event. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Vosler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen-Vosler, I'm Corey Knute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Egg Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Manitoba Egg Museum near Austin is hosting a winter wonderland display. December 10th to the 12th and again from the 17th to the 19th. It will take place from 4 to 8 p.m. The entry fee is $10 per family. Proof of vaccination for guests age 12 and up is required. The Canadian Forage and Grassland Association's annual conference is planned for December 14th to the 16th. In an online setting, details at canadianfga.ca. Keystone Agricultural Producers held its district meetings last night. President Bill Campbell gave the opening address.
4: It's an understatement to say that 2021 was a challenging year for crop producers and livestock producers. Drought conditions have impacted producers in all sectors and every region of Manitoba. And CAP's focus has been on advocacy and education to ensure that the right information, support and tools are available. At every turn, we have emphasized collaboration with producers, farm groups and governments. We know that producers' issues are interconnected. No matter the commodity, we have common interests and we need to work together. At this point, I'd like to take a few minutes to recap some of CAP's work in response to the drought. This summer, we consulted broadly to understand and address the challenges facing our industry. Our executive and staff met with provincial and federal decision-makers, including Minister Eichler, Minister Peterson, and Minister Bebold. To share producers experiences and to advocate for assistance. We also worked with the province regarding Manitoba's water management strategy while facilitating discussions and providing feedback on agri-recovery programs to address feed assistance, feed transportation, livestock transportation, and herd rebuilding. I encourage you to visit www.gov. Dot .mb.ca/agriculture to learn more about these programs and apply. We also know that there's a role for CAP to play in terms of education. This summer CAP and a coalition of farm groups including Manitoba Beef producers, Manitoba forage and grasslands association, Manitoba crop alliance, Manitoba canola growers Manitoba Bison Association and Manitoba Sheep Association urged producers to know their options with drought-damaged crops. The coalition launched an online campaign to encourage producers to access drought and mental health resources and to talk with each other and MASC when considering their options. With the announcement of programs under the Agri Recovery Framework, CAP, MBP, MFGA, and the province and MASC hosted a webinar to explain the programs available and answer producers' questions. Looking ahead, we are working on a crop marketing webinar with farm groups to help producers understand their options and obligations as they make business decisions in the coming years. I want to take a moment here to say that we appreciate the collaboration and commitment of farm groups and all levels of government to address the drought. This collaboration will be key to ensuring that our industry emerges stronger than ever. On another note, this year CAP has continued to call for action on carbon pricing and education property taxes. A few weeks after Heather Stephenson was sworn in as premier, we met with her to discuss Manitoba's path forward on both files. These issues have serious impact on the competitiveness of our industry. We emphasize the need for an education system funding reform and our desire to see education property taxes completely removed. Overall, we were very pleased that Manitoba has announced its intention to review education funding in our province, and CAP will be at the table as these consultations unfold.
0: That was Keystone Agricultural Producers President Bill Campbell speaking last night during the virtual district meetings. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. A renewed grant agreement has been signed between the Canadian Food Grants Bank and the Government of Canada. The grant is over $75 million over three years and will be used to fund emergency response projects implemented through the 15 member agencies. Here is Executive Director Andy Harrington. Because of the support of the Government of Canada, our members have been able to provide support for people around the world affected by these food systems, failures and emergencies. And the efforts of many thousands of Canadians who support the Food Grains Bank have been amplified through the grant. And on behalf of so many, thank you to Global Affairs Canada and the government of Canada for making this possible. In total, the government of Canada has provided $699 million worth of emergency assistance through the Food Grains Bank since 1983. On Tuesday, Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food Marie-Claude Bibeau announced an investment of more than $4.6 million for three projects to grow the pork industry within Canada and in international markets. Through an investment of more than $3.2 million, Canada Pork International will undertake export market development initiatives to maintain and improve access to international markets. Funding of more than 550000 will support the Canadian Pork Council's national marketing activities Minister Bebo also announced an additional $850,000 for the council to help industry prevent and prepare for African swine fever. And as of yesterday, Manitoba Pork was reporting 21 cases of the PEV virus here in 2021. Manager of Swine Health Programs Janelle Hamblin says it's unusual to see an outbreak start this late in the year.
1: It's something that we haven't seen before. It's new. Uh, Cases in Manitoba have typically started in that um, April, May, June time frame is when we've seen cases start in previous outbreaks. So this October, end of October time frame, uh, we've seen cases in October before, but they've typically been linked to other cases that had come on earlier. So to start an outbreak at the end of October and, and lead here into December, is, is definitely a new um, occurrence for us here in Manitoba. And uh, looking at these risk factors through a slightly different lens, being that uh, it's a different season, different environmental factors are at play.
0: The majority of the 21 cases are in the southeast part of the province. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have details on the latest USDA WASDE report. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow, starting at 12 noon.